2: Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 71. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman.
3: Some are born, even bred, for the battlefield. Their whole lives dedicated to one unholy purpose. Bloody, gruesome combat. Though many compete, in the end, only one is left standing. Or flying. Or swimming. Or teleporting. Who would win in a hypothetical fight to the death? A jura fire, or a flying grizzly bear with giant bat wings? A solar-powered polar bear, or a panther that spits acid? We argue. You decide. The Super Animal Deathmatch Competition 2008. The most pointless, awesome contest ever. For real. Brought to you by the weirdos at the Travelcast. Go to www.dravelcast.org and click on Mega Beasts.
2: That's right. It's that time again. The Super Animal Deathmatch Competition. This year we're taking it to a whole new level and a whole new feed. Here's how it's going to work this year. We'll have a plethora of battle enhanced rage fueled super beasts that will compete in five rounds. The preliminary round will start this weekend with a laundry list of your favorite critters pre battle enhancement for you listeners to pick from. You pick six, we tally the votes and toss the winners into the animal augmentation machine and set them up for round one two weeks from today. The shows will include a recap of the animals battling and then a heated, possibly drunken debate about which one would win, involving myself and co-editors Luke and Kendall, along with special guests. Listeners will also be able to call in and leave a message trying to sway voters. Bo Kyer will be returning this year to draw the Mega Beasts. If you saw his artwork for last year's competition, you should be just as excited about that as I am. So yeah, we'll have more information on the competition later. But for now, check the website later this week and vote for which animals you want to see compete. For those of you who don't give a telekinetic 12-pound mecca rat's ass about any of this, no worries. We started a new feed so that this won't interfere with the main show very much. And speaking of the main show, let's get to it. Our Drabble story this week is called Boys Will Be Boys by Alex Moisey. Alex is a Romanian-born college student living in Illinois. We ran his Drabble, Monsters, in episode 66 and are happy to have another 100-word nugget of delight from him. So, Drabble time. <clears throat> Today is a historic moment. We have discovered and interpreted a confirmed extraterrestrial message. The president waited silently until the reporters calmed down. The, uh, the message passed all tests and is clearly of non-human origin. It is best represented as an image. Pandemonium broke out again as the picture was displayed. It looks like a donkey. Someone screamed over the uproar. Zord turned to his brother and grinned. This prank was worth any punishment they would get from the Interstellar Council.
0: Stupid, uncivilized
3: planet. (laughs) They fell for it.
2: The two aliens laughed, watching the observation screens on their orbiting spaceship. Our feature story this week is called "Perfect Down Further" by Max Kraft. This is Max's first published story, and he wrote it just for us. He lives in Seattle, Washington, with his best friend, a Weimar named Barkley. So, without further ado, "Perfect Down Further" by Max Kraft. <sighs> His ears perked when he heard it. After five days of hearing nothing but the ocean's dull roar, the sound stood out like fireworks in a summer sky. His eyes followed the noise upward. The squawks from a seagull circling in the distance caused a single tear to well in his eye. As the man opened his mouth to shout, his chapped lips ripped apart like cheap seams. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! the man shouted. I knew you would save me, Lord. I knew you would save your humble servant. Excitedly, the man grabbed his only remaining paddle and followed the gull's trail. Not long now, the seagull shall guide me, he thought. The excitement soon turned to exhaustion. He quickly spent what little strength was left after five days on the sea without food or water. The man reclined against the orange polyurethane edge of his life raft, wrapped his leg into a safety hold, and began to recall the week's events. It was a week ago when he boarded the ship from Boston to Lagos, Nigeria. He was leaving for a two year mission to African families. The goal was to feed, spread hope, and of course, convert as many Africans to Christianity as possible. The mission organization didn't have the funds to fly him over, and neither did he. So he called in a few favors, and a few weeks later he was crossing the Atlantic on a cargo vessel. The ship was appropriately coined the Great Commission, but he suspected that had more to do with the economic connotation rather than the religious one. Two days had passed on the sea, and the man was suffering greatly from seasickness. He was never good on boats, and even though the ship was big, this time was no different. He was sleeping in his makeshift room on the mid-deck when he woke up gagging. Expending more effort than he thought usual, he started to make his way up the main deck for some fresh air. He noted how the hall seemed to be inclined, but discarded it as a case of vertigo. When he finally got outside, he was surprised to see a raging storm battering the Great Commission and what appeared to be lifeboats seemingly miles away from the vessel. They must have forgotten me, he thought. Frantically, he bolted to the boat's hull to confirm that all the lifeboats had indeed departed. He began to panic, but a fiercely cold wind sent a sobering shiver down his spine. The arctic blast briefly made him question his location before his required safety briefing flashed into his mind. Heart-pounding, he ran back into the cabin that housed the emergency equipment and returned to the deck with the life raft in hand. After securing his life vest, he inflated the raft as he dropped it over the side rail. Spying what he estimated to be a thirty-foot drop into the raft below, he said a quick prayer, crossed his arms over his chest, and jumped. His head landed first into the mostly inflated raft with a marked thud. There must be an easier way to do that, the man thought, before drifting into unconsciousness. Excuse me. I say, excuse me, sir. The man blinked and shook his head, oblivious to the fact that he had just fallen asleep. He was fighting back the urge to retch when the odd voice spoke again. Are you okay up there? Uh, Can you speak, sir? The man was unsure what day it was. Had he just escaped the ship? His severe thirst and shivering body quickly alerted him otherwise. He looked around the life raft. "'only to find that he was still adrift "'and that the bird he had heard earlier "'had evidently abandoned him. "'I'm sure I heard someone talking,' he said. "'Indeed you did, sir,' replied the strange voice. "'Look over here.' "'The man was disturbed to see that he was looking down "'at what appeared to be a talking beluga whale "'swimming alongside his raft. "'Well, I guess this is it,' he calmly said to the beluga.' Yes i won't be making it home after all that is unless god sent you to save me i only know the way to my home said the beluga yeah i can't see that doing me much good really actually that's why i'm here i think it can do more good than you're inclined to believe you see it's time for a new sea king and oh i'd be delighted the man interrupted sarcastically what a relief the beluga cried unaware Caught off guard, the man began his explanation. Uh, sorry, I was just joking. I guess I'm a little baffled that we're having a conversation when you're obviously a whale. Second, I couldn't survive underwater even if I did want to be your king. And third, and most importantly, why would I want to live with a lot of fish and seafood? Slightly offended, the beluga answered. <laughs> We belugas aren't very keen on jokes. We don't spend a lot of time talking to land beings. In fact, you're my first. But I am indeed serious. Belugas are the heralds of the Sea Kingdom. It's our job to find a new king. And you're wrong, by the way. All of our kings have been human, or human-like, I should say. You don't need guilds or anything silly like that. That's nice, the man responded blandly. "'But you still haven't really told me why I'd want to live with a bunch of fish. <laughs> "'I mean, I bet I bet you don't even have narwhals down there, do you?' the man stated playfully. "'I mean, how could I have a respectable kingdom without narwhals? Uh, "'Actually, I can't even remember if they're real or legend. "'My brain isn't what it was a few days ago.' Mm, "'There aren't many narwhals left in the world,' the beluga admitted. "'And they rarely venture out of their colder waters.' The beluga stared at the man silently for a short while. Apparently convinced that the man was just interested in conversation and teasing, it began to say goodbye. I'm sorry to have bothered you. I guess you're more content to float here until your death. The man was stunned by the bluntness of the whale and the possibility of his impending death mentioned in such a matter-of-fact tone, from the mouth of a beluga, no less. I'm, I'm not dying here, the man asserted. "'God will rescue me. I'm his servant, and he remembers his servants.' "'Oh, come off it,' the beluga snapped. The man's eyes widened at the remark. "'The king told me stories of land beings and their beloved gods and how they can do no wrong, yet the land persistently struggles with disease and famine and war. And you?' I guess your god wants you here, floating for days in a vast ocean, cold and abandoned. Look, I don't mean to be short, but the fact is you can wait for your god, who may or may not rescue you, or you can become like a god. Become like god? Well, that fills my quota for heresy this week. I presume I'd become immortal, too, and perhaps even transform into a merman. Become like a god, the beluga corrected. You won't become like a merman, I'm sorry to say. While that would really endear you to more of the kingdom, I'm afraid that just isn't possible. Oh, and and, and neither is immortality. Not even the seas are immortal, after all. One day they too will dry up. But if it makes you feel any better, you will live for a very long time. Much longer than normal humans, in fact. I've only known one king during my entire lifetime. "'It might surprise you to know that there have only been four kings in the history of the sea. Uh, "'Poseidon and Neptune, I'm sure you've heard of, and, and two guys, Orin and Arthur. "'This is quite a big event, you see.' "'Is that right?' the man asked, interested. "'Tell me more about your last king. Arthur, was it? Did he die? Is that why you need a new king?' "'Arthur was a great man.' The creature replied as its face lit up in a manner unique to the beluga. He told us many tales of the land during his time as king. Without a doubt, he's the most beloved king in the history of the sea. His father was a lighthouse keeper, so Arthur was around the sea his whole life. He was handsome and strong and could swim like a seal. One day he was out in the waves when a former beluga herald approached him, confident that he would say yes. "'He developed such a love of many sea creatures "'that we began to understand him even when he wasn't speaking. "'We could feel his presence when he was in trouble or needed help. "'He led us well, with respect. "'A great man, indeed.' "'The beluga sighed and looked away, as if it were concealing tears. "'The man began considering his alternatives on the raft and shuddered. (sighs) "'What makes me qualified to become king of the sea?' Those things that you said about Arthur, I'm not any of those. Not to mention the inevitable hypothermia, and the biggest issue, oxygen. Why me? Poseidon once decreed that any willing human could inherit his kingdom. The sea creatures call it Poseidon's gift. All the kings have been doubtful at first. To be honest, there have been humans who have declined. But it's just a matter of trying, and believing. All the other stuff, the leading and the swimming fast, that just takes time. Sea creatures are very patient animals, you know. Just try to breathe underwater? (laughs) That's nonsense. It leads to something we up here above water call drowning, the man laughed almost hysterically. The beluga's forehead wrinkled in disappointment. There are many mysteries of the sea— Breathing underwater is but one. Take my friends the cuttlefish, for instance. Now they... If you're trying to persuade me to do this by using cuttlefish, I'm afraid you're going to have to do something a little more impressive. The man interjected. The beluga appeared to be deep in thought. It slowly lifted its tail and slapped the water three times. Next, it dipped its head under and let out a bellow so loud the man could hear it above water from his raft. The beluga's head reappeared above water, but it said nothing. Moments later, the sea began to part in front of the raft. The man peered closer and saw a long, sharp horn pierce the surface of the sea. As the head came into view, the man realized he was gazing at a narwhal. The giant blew a large breath from its blowhole, spewing seawater into the air. But I thought you said... "'I felt he could be of service,' the beluga replied, smirking. "'Every king is needed a little nudge. "'Now I presume you're ready to join us.' "'It was the man's turn to be deep in thought. "'He looked up at the emerging stars reflectively "'and muttered something like a confession. "'Just then a biting gale swept across the raft, "'making his face burn as if he'd been slapped.' It briefly took his mind back to the Great Commission and seeing all those boats so far away. The man looked down into the water, released a long sigh, and rolled over the raft's edge into the water. Oof, cold! He shivered as he took off his life jacket. Oh, don't worry, it's perfect down further. Okay, so we're all ready to go now? The beluga asked. Wait, how do I do this? The beluga turned his back toward the man. Just hold on and I'll take you. No, I I mean breathing, the man replied nervously. Oh, well, just like you normally do. And remember, believe. The man lifted his eyebrows and half shrugged at the response. He wrapped his arms around the smooth white whale, trying to calm his mind about whether he was committing suicide or not. He took a deep breath right before the beluga darted violently down through the water. The man held tight and opened his eyes. All he saw was the surrounding water growing dimmer. The whale continued to dive deeper, and the man's breath soon diminished. "'Breathe! You must breathe!' The beluga shouted. The man felt his chest burning and his legs going numb. This is it, the man thought. As the sea continued to darken around him, the man couldn't distinguish whether it was the lack of light or the possibility that he was about to black out. He shook his head in a brief attempt to clear the darkness. Something flashed below them and caught the man's eye. A twinkle resonated through the abyss. Desperately, the man inched his head forward to look closer and gasped. See? All better now. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. This story reminded me of the time that I rode on a dolphin. I'm serious, I did. My parents took my brother and I to some place in Florida where dolphins did therapy with mentally handicapped kids. I'm not sure exactly how they got us in there. I'm sure they had to do something tricky. Uh, I hope they did, at least. Feedback for episode 66, Creatures in Disguise, by James Shackle. I was surprised about some of the negative feedback we got on this one. I like reading and producing all the stories we do here on the Drabblecast, but I had particular fun with Creatures in Disguise. But different strokes for different folks, I guess. Anne Savoy said, Killer ducks? Awesome. No question. But a concept seldom makes a story. At least a story longer than a Drabble. And that's what I felt this was. A concept. Since I figured it out quick at the duck pond scene, as I assume most did, I kept waiting for the punch. I figured it out early, so it's not a twist, so there must be something else... But there wasn't. Chivalry Bean said, I liked the Quack Apocalypse story. Nothing unexpected happened, but that doesn't mean it wasn't good. I think sometimes we're so used to twist endings that when there isn't one, we're disappointed. I really think a twist is only worth it if it's really good. As far as a killer duck story goes, this one was told well. It fits the Drabblecast perfectly, and in fact, it's the type of story I loved to hear when I first started listening. It's good to get back to the way things were. This isn't to say that I don't like the stories I've been hearing, but I remember more stories akin to this one in the past. We do love hearing feedback, good or bad, as do our authors, so join our discussion forums at www.drabblecast.org and let us know what you think about what you hear. While you're on the site, consider dropping a donation our way via the donation link so we can pay our authors and keep this here ship afloat. That's all for this week. Tune in next week for more short and unusual fiction. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors, Luke Coddington, Kendall Marchman, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to breathe.